The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. All right, Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, his mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord the Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Okay, we are in the book of Joshua. We're in uh, Joshua 19, 1 through 9, the inheritance of Simeon. The second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families, and their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. They had in their inheritance Beersheba, Sheba, Moladah, Hazar Shual, Bala, Ezem, Eltolad, Betul, Horma, Ziklag, Bet Markobot, Hazar Susa, Bet Lebaot, and Sharuhen, 13 cities and their villages. Ain, Ramon, Ether, and Ashan, four cities and their villages. And all the villages that were all around these cities as far as Baalat Be'er, Ramah of the south. 
This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families. The inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah, for the share of the children of Judah was too much for them. Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance within the inheritance of that people. It's kind of hard to imagine an inheritance within an inheritance. I tried to think of something comparable to what is presented in these verses and couldn't come up with anything. An inheritance, by default, seems to imply something that belongs to one exclusively. A person can share in his inheritance, but to have a permanent stake set aside within another's inheritance while it still belongs to the first isn't something that you would normally expect to see. On a spiritual level, though, this is possible. Jesus is said to have inherited a more excellent name than the angels. In coming to Jesus, we implicitly share in his name, and we are granted a part in the heavenly inheritance that he has earned. But that is not what we are seeing in Joshua 19. Judah had an inheritance that was too much for them. So Simeon is being given an inheritance within the inheritance of Judah. Henceforth, all of this land is going to be known as the land of Judah even while Simeon is in the cities and villages granted to them. What do you imagine is going on here? Why did God set an inheritance inside an inheritance? And what prompted it to occur? God already knows the end from the beginning, and so there had to be a purpose. Our text verse comes from Revelation 2. It is verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's fascinating to sit down on Monday morning having no idea what the passage is conveying and then trying to figure it out. I got started around 3.30 a.m. The first verse went very quickly. I couldn't believe how fast. Well, until I looked at the clock and I saw it was 4.45 a.m. and I still had more verses to go. The same thing happened with verse 2. Hedico was walking out the door at 6.30 and I was still typing that verse. Later verses went more quickly so that I was done with them by about 11.30. And then I sat, thinking, and sat, thinking. The analysis of these verses did not come easily, but it is such a treasure because it explains things that are right in front of our noses concerning inheritances. What God has done in Christ, how it affects Israel, how it affects the church, and so on. It never gets old. The word just keeps giving us new and exciting details. Yes, great things are to be found in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is, too much for them. It's verses 1 through 9. The second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families. Simeon was the second son of Jacob, as well as the second son of his wife, Leah. His name comes from Shammah, to hear. Thus it means hearing, or he who hears. Surprisingly, this is the first time that Simeon is seen in the book of Joshua. He'll only be seen in this chapter for his land grant, and in chapter 21, when Levitical cities are included in his land grant. He will be mentioned very sparsely in the rest of the Old Testament. In chapter 18, the remaining land was to be surveyed and divided into seven parts, and yet, without any explanation as to why, a portion was drawn out of Judah. Thus, it seems likely that it was decided before the surveyors went out that a portion would be 
taken out of Judah's inheritance. We talked about that for the past couple sermons. Now the lots are being cast. Verse 1 continues, and the inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. Vehi nachalatam betok nachalat bene Yehuda, and was their inheritance in midst inheritance sons Judah. The lot that was cast in the resulting land allotment fulfills the prophecy of Jacob from Genesis 49. Here's what it says. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. Here it is. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Simeon had marched with Reuben and Gad after leaving Sinai. They had encamped together on the south side of the tabernacle when it rested. That's found in Numbers 2. These two had separated from Simeon, taking their inheritance east of the Jordan. A question arises here as to whether the lot itself designated the land for Simeon or if it simply designated Simeon to be the first to choose which lot they would choose. The text does not say, but either way, the result is that other than from Judah, Simeon will be separated from his brothers. At the census in Numbers 26, after the wilderness wanderings, Simeon was found to be the smallest tribe of all. Their total number in Numbers 1 was 59,300 men. In Numbers 26, it was 22,200. Thus, his numbers dropped by 37,100. That was the largest decrease of any tribe. This was probably because many of the tribe were killed in the matter of Peor back in Numbers 25. It seems that Simeon was most associated with that. Thus, they were destroyed by sword and by plague because of it reducing their numbers greatly. It would be a good reason for their reassignment within Judah, the tribe with the greatest numbers, because of this. Judah could act as a defense and as a help for this smaller tribe, something that will be seen in the book of Judges, from Judges chapter 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. As this allotment fulfills Jacob's prophecy, we could speculate that the lot was designated by the Lord to ensure that that would happen. But it could be that because of their separation from Reuben, who had chosen land east of the Jordan, and because Judah and Simeon were both sons of Leah, they simply chose to dwell together. Adding in Levitical cities that will be designated in this area, there will be three of these sons of Leah dwelling together. Simeon, a portion of Levi, and Judah. As for the cities to be designated, the first 13 will be in the Negev, the south country. The second four will have two in the Negev and two in the Shephelah, or lowland, in the allotments recorded in Joshua 15, of which Simeon will now receive their portion. It is apparent that these cities are a far distance from one another. In the Negev, Lebaot, Shilim, Ain, and Ramon. In the Shephelah, Livna, Ether, and Ashan. Thus, even in the allotment within Judah, Simeon is further divided among Israel more perfectly fulfilling the prophecy of Jacob. 
As for the city Simeon is granted, they are next enumerated. Verse 2, they had in their inheritance Beersheba, Sheba, Molada. The Hebrew here would at first seem to suggest three cities, but the total listing in verse 6 is 13, not 14 cities. Vehi lachem be nachalatam Vesheva umolada, and was to them in their inheritance, Beersheba, and Sheba, and Molada. In Joshua 15.26, it lists Shema instead of Sheba before Molada. Thus, it could be referring to the same location with just a spelling change. But this would make 14 cities, not 13. Also, neither Shema nor Sheba is mentioned in the listing of Simeon cities in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. For this reason, the word and before Sheba seems to indicate that Beersheba and Sheba are being identified as one city, not two. Beersheba and Sheba. As the listing specifically will read 13 cities, this seems the most likely explanation. Beersheba means well of the oath or well of the seven. The word Be'er signifies a well or pit. A well is something that is dug out not natural. The word Sheva means seven. However, that comes from Shava to swear, as in an oath. The dual name is derived from the account found in Genesis chapter 21. There it says, then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. This designation was repeated in Genesis 26 at the time of Isaac. There, it gives a reasonable explanation for the name Sheba being affixed to Beersheba in this verse of Joshua. There it says, So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Therefore, the well-named Sheba, or Sheba, depending on how you spell it, it can have an H or no H at the end of it, is included with the city Beersheba. Again, Sheba simply means seven, but it is also derived from Shava and alternatively means oath. The H added at the end of the name signifies a feminine form of the word. Molada comes from yalad, to bear, bring forth, or beget. The M prefix may indicate from. Thus it means place of bringing forth, or more simply, birthplace, or even origin. The two verses I just read you took over two hours to type. Verse 3, Hazar Shual, Balam, Ezem. Hazar Shual means village of the fox. But this needs further explanation. The shual, the fox, comes from shoal, the hollow of the hand, because these are burrowing animals, making their own hollow. The word is found in Isaiah 40, verse 12, where it asks, Who has measured the waters in the hollow, the shoal of his hand? 
Hence, the meaning extends to village of the hollow of the hand. Bala probably comes from balay, meaning worn out. Thus, it probably means wearing out, worn out, or old. Atsem comes from etsem, or bone. Thus, it means bone, supporting, or strength. Verse 4. El tolad betul horma. El tolad comes from el, God, and yalad, to bring forth or bear. Thus, it could mean brought forth of God, born of God, generated of God, generation of God, and so on. Betul is possibly derived from betulah, meaning a virgin, and el, God. Or it may be derived from bet, house, and el, God. Thus, it probably means either virgin of God or abode of God. Harma means anathema. James Strong defines it as asylum, meaning a place of refuge. Verse 5, Ziklag, Bet Mar Kabot Hazar Susa. The name Ziklag is a bit of a brain teaser. It appears to be derived from the word Tsuk. It means to pour out or to melt or to oppress or distress such as to put pressure on someone to give up information or to lay siege to a city. It is used in Job 29, when my steps were bathed with cream and the rock poured, suk out rivers of oil for me. The second part is from log, a small amount poured into a hollow like the hand. Thus, it could signify measure of pressure or measure of pouring. Bet ha marka vot means house of the chariots. Chatsar Suza means village of the horse or village of the mare. Verse 6, Bet Lebaot and Sharuchen. Bet Lebaot means house of lionesses. Depending on the root, Sharuchen comes from two words. The first is Shara, to loosen, and thus figuratively to dwell or abide. The second is Chen, or grace. It signifies abode of grace. Verse 6 continues, 13 cities and their villages. Depending on the scholar, this may seem to be a scribal error that should read 14. As noted earlier, some say that Sheba should be either Shema or that it is the same place as Beersheba and so on. But the record of Genesis 26 that everybody oddly ignores seems to indicate that Sheba or Sheba with the H is merely the well that belongs to Beersheba. Hence, 13 cities being designated appears to be correct. Along with those, the others are, verse 7, Ain, Rimon, Ether, and Ashan, four cities and their villages. Ain means fountain, spring, or I. Same word, just has different meanings. Rimon means pomegranate. But the pomegranate symbolizes harvest-ready fruit, and so it can mean mature mind or harvest-ready. Ether comes from atom, meaning to multiply, and so it signifies abundance. However, that can figuratively mean something like deceitful, as in the proverb where the word is used this way. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Literally, many. Ashan means smoke. Verse 8, and all the villages that were all around these cities. There are the main cities with their villages, and then there are lesser villages that extended beyond them scattered throughout the countryside. This would all be accounted to Simeon. This grant with the villages extended, verse 8 continues, as far as Balat Be'er, Ramah of the south. Ba'alat Be'er means lady of a well or well of a lady. Ramat Negev means height of the south. It is supposed 
to be another name for Baalet Be'er. Verse 8 continues, this was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Simeon according to their families. This sums up the listing from verses 1 through 8. It is the second allotment of the final seven, coming after Benjamin and before Zebulun. With that, the next words provide an explanation of why they are located in this area. But, as was stated in the previous chapter, the account never fully explains how the lots were divided out in the seven final distributions. Verse 9, the inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah. Mechevel bene Yehuda, Nachalat bene Shimon. From Kord, sons Judah, inheritance, sons Simeon. The Chevel is a rope used as a measuring line. Hence, it speaks of the territory, share, or allotment that has been measured out. With that, the explanation of why, without the how it was determined, is next stated. Verse 9 continues, For the share of the children of Judah was too much for them. The area granted to Judah had a large number of cities, and cities are what the land grants are centered on, even if other factors were considered. Cities are connected to roads that are connected to highways. As such, the amount of productivity and trade of the land is often directly connected to the cities. In the case of Judah, they would not be harmed at all by having these cities go to Simeon. In fact, it would be a benefit for them for the cities to be filled. Verse 9 continues, Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance within the inheritance of that people. The text reads more simply, and inherited sons Simeon in midst their inheritance. Simeon, he who hears, receives his inheritance within the borders of Judah. Praise. Without really telling us the how this decision was made, we are simply told that it occurred. The reason for Judah's share was too much. What a thing. Too much room. Okay, let's invite he who hears. What is that telling you? Anybody got an idea? It's marvelous. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says today. The words I speak will be perfectly clear when he pays heed to what I say. There is the unfolding of a wonderful story. It is one that will include any who will hear. In heeding my word, there will be wonder and glory. This extends to anyone, whether far off or near. The Spirit speaks in and through my word, and so the Spirit is still speaking today. Pay careful heed to all that you have heard. Yes, be sure to listen to all that my word does say. Our second thought today is this is the church. The boundaries of the various allotments have reflected the work of Christ and its effects on those who are saved. The cities within Simeon now reflect the status of the church that Christ came to establish. Simeon means he who hears. To hear in scripture means not only to hear audibly, but also to attend to, such as Deuteronomy 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear, meaning attend to my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. In this case, Simeon is he who hears or attends to the word. He has responded to the word of Christ. Simeon receives his inheritance within the inheritance of Judah. The boundaries were defined and the pictures of Christ were laid out in Joshua 15, 1 through 12. It is within those typological anticipations of Christ that Simeon, he who hears, receives his allotment. Judah means praise. 
Jesus is the praise of God. The inheritance is then defined, beginning with Beersheba, well of the oath, well of the seven. A well is something that is dug out. It reflects the profession of faith that a believer brings out. The water is there, but it must be released and obtained. That is the point of digging for the water. The words and Sheba or and seven were affixed to that. It isn't just that the location is given, but the well itself is obtained. The Lord speaks forth the word of salvation. His word is its own oath, and it establishes what it speaks. In this case, it is seven. That will be explained in a moment. The next location is molada, or bringing forth. From the profession of faith, the church is established in those who make that profession. That leads to Hazar Shu'al, village of the fox. Recall that Shu'al, or fox, is derived from Sho'al, the hollow of the hand. The verse quoted from Isaiah 40:12 about the hollow of the hand explained the meaning. This then takes us to the church as described in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 1, verse 16, it says that he had in his right hand seven stars. That is explained in Revelation 1:20. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. The Greek literally reads, which you saw upon. Greek, the word is epi, my right hand. It is as if the churches are in the hollow of his hand. The seven stars are emblematic of the seven leaders of the seven churches. They are the messengers of the Lord and anticipate the well of the seven. Next is Bala, wearing out. It is the state of those in the church. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, wearing out, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Despite this state, those in the church remain in a state of strength, reflected by etsem, or atsem, strength, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of the Lord, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Next is mentioned El Tolad, coming from Yalad, to bring forth or bear. Thus it means brought forth of God, born of God, generated of God, generation of God, and so on. It is reflective of numerous verses in the New Testament. One from Galatians says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That leads directly into the state of the church, reflected by the name Betul, or Virgin of God. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin, Betul, to Christ. This Virgin of God, despite being in the world and affected by it, is also secure in Christ. He is our sanctuary and our refuge. He is our place of asylum, reflected by Charma. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge, think of asylum, to lay hold of the hope set before us. 
Next came Ziklag, or measure of pouring. The measure, however, is not defined. It simply is a pouring out according to whatever measure. That is described by Paul in Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out ziklag on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The next two cities came in the same verse as Ziklag and reflect essentially the same thought. Bet-Mar-Kabot, House of the Chariots, and Hazar-Susa, Village of the Horse. Both of these are used in scripture to define warlike operations. They reflect power to wage battle and at times pride. These two together are well described by Paul. 2 Corinthians 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. After that came bet Lebaot, house of lionesses. The lion is a symbol of courage and strength. Again, Paul provides a suitable explanation for that from Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened, bet lebaot, with might through his spirit in the inner man. So far, each city has described the state of the believer or how that has come about. The next city, Sharuchen, does so as well. As noted, it comes from two words signifying to dwell and grace, hence abode of grace. There is an abundance of verses to explain this, but Romans 6.14 will do. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace, sharuchen. And that state of grace is explained by how it is obtained. Unlike a well which is dug, a spring or fountain is that which comes up naturally. The Spirit comes forth through a profession, but once he comes, he does so ceaselessly, represented by ayin, or fountain. John 4, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain, ayin, of water springing up into everlasting life. You can see the contrast of well There's water there, but it has to be drawn out. Somebody's working to make it happen, or somebody is making a profession to bring about the result, whereas a fountain or a spring just comes up naturally. Christ. Once a person in the church is so prepared, he can, if he is willing, move ahead to maturity. That is the point of the filling of the Spirit, represented by the next city, Ramon. It means pomegranate, but the pomegranate is defined by those at Abarim as mature mind or harvest ready. Paul then explains that in several ways, but simply stated from 1 Corinthians 14, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Ramon. The next city is Ether. It signifies abundance. There's a lot concerning this word in the New Testament, and none of it is what the prosperity gospel proclaims. None of it. 
Rather, the abundance of God that he provides to those who are mature-minded is available to the poorest beggar in Jesus Christ, such as Romans 5, for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance, ether, of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. With that, the next city, Ashan, or smoke, was named. Smoke reflects a presence be it of God or a burning city, something irritating in the eyes, and so on. But it is a fleeting presence. God makes himself manifest in temporary ways, such as in Isaiah 6, 4. Cities that are burning are manifest until they are gone, such as in Joshua 8, 21. The irritation of the wicked is a temporary manifestation in the nostrils of the Lord, such as in Isaiah 65. Here's what it says from 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Think of the smoke. Behold, all things have become new. The life before knowing Christ was smoke. That which is found in Christ is eternal. John explains this precisely when he says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. It's not smoke. It is permanent. With that, the naming of the cities was complete. And yet, locations are implied with the words of verse 8. There it said, as far as Baalat Be'er, Rama of the south. This brings the narrative back to the thought of a well. It opened with Beersheba, and it is closing with Baalat Be'er, or Lady of a Well. The lady that John writes to in his two shorter epistles is debated by scholars, but the context reveals that it is speaking of a body of believers. Here's what it says. The elder, to the elect lady, Baalat Be'er, and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. The well of the lady consists of those who have professed Christ and become a part of the church of believers. This location, Ba'alat Be'er, is then defined as Ramat Negev, height of the south, But Negev is from a root signifying parched. This then would reflect a nearness to God, symbolized by the height in the parched world. The water of life provided by Christ is what brings them this nearness, and it came by professing him as the Lord Jehovah in the flesh. The verses then close out by reiterating that this is the inheritance of he who hears in the inheritance of praise. The new covenant was established with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That is explicit from Jeremiah 31, verse 31. But it extends to any and all who hear the word and accept it by faith. These cities tell the story. This is the church. It is the body of believers for whom Christ died. It is hidden away in a few otherwise obscure verses about an allotment within a land allotment. But scripture never really explains how it came about. We spent, you know, 20 minutes talking about that for the past couple sermons. If it had, it would not have been quite the mystery that would later be revealed. 
in this passage, we can see that not only does God have every aspect of what he is doing meticulously and minutely detailed, such as the earlier Joshua sermons, and the manner in which Christ would accomplish those things, such as in the more recent sermons, but he is also giving us details of what those things mean for us as well when we are included in his body of believers. What a treasure. Take care when you read the word. Think on what you are reading and read it repeatedly so that you will remember what you have read. Keep cataloging things, making mental notes of key words and phrases, and considering how things fit into the greater panorama of the word. Everything fits, and everything has a purpose. Trust that. When you read passages like these in Joshua, don't look at them as a laborious section to just get through, but enjoy the words, the names, the places, and so on. A story is being told. And above all, keep remembering that every word in this precious and sacred word comes from the mind of God and for the benefit of those who will pay heed. Let us remember that it all anticipates the coming of Jesus and what has occurred since then. And if Jesus has come, which indeed he has, then he is coming again. Let us be of mature minds, growing in the knowledge of him and his word from day to day. May it be so with each who loves his appearing. We're talking about mature minds in Christ as one of the cities and of the state of the church, and I qualified it by if you are willing. Well, I'd like to talk about somebody that is willing. We just had a family walk in a couple minutes ago, and the lady of the family sends me emails constantly asking about the Word of God, wanting to know proper doctrine, wanting to know things that are important for her children to know when they grow up. All of these things come because she is of a mature mind. Now, this is the first time I've ever heard from Reuben. She's talked about him, but I'm finally meeting him as well, and I haven't met her personally other than through email. But they were down in Naples, right? Okay, and then they just moved up closer because he has the same job that I did for like 20 years. He's in that same employment, and so we've got a little connection there, which I'll have to talk to him about sometime. But I would hope that every person that goes home today would read their Bible and question the text. And when you don't understand what's going on, send me an email, okay? That's what I'm there for. That's, you know, I get millions of emails a day, and some of them are just not great. But some of them are wonderful because somebody really wants to know what God is telling us or what is proper, how to run my life properly, and what does it mean for the family around me, for the church I attend, and all of these type of things. So do that. Be wise and be mature-minded. And above all, be a Christian. And the only way you can do that is by calling out to Jesus Christ. This is a world that is filled with false religion. It is the standard thing that happens in the world. is because man is at enmity with God. And so they don't want a relationship with God in the way that he intends. And every single religion that you're going to find on this planet, every one of them comes down to one key issue. Me. How am I going to reconcile myself to him with the exception of Christianity? And I'm talking about true biblical Christianity where God says, I have done the work to reconcile you to me. And that's seen right here. We have the well. We have the well of the seven. Well, how do you make that well bring up water? You have to go out and you have to do it. Now, that's not a work saying, I call on Jesus, but that's what God expects. 
And when you do that, the water comes up and you become a part of the seven in the hollow of the hand. All of these are giving us pictures of what God is doing. And so understand when I say that I sat there from 1130 until three o'clock trying to figure this out, it's because all of this stuff is in my head and it has to be figured out. It's not something simple, but when you're reading the Bible, it will come out if you know the Bible. So please read your word in the morning and then read it at lunch and then read it at night. And during the meantime, think about the Bible. Put it as the priority in your life because, you know, we talk in churches and in synods and conferences all the time. You hear people say, well, the Holy Spirit is among us and the Holy Spirit is with us. And you hear this all the time. The Methodist congregation is debating whether to ordain homosexuals, for example. Well, the Holy Spirit is leading us in this direction. Do you want to know where the Holy Spirit speaks today? Yes. Right here. Amen. He has spoken. God will never contradict the word that he has spoken forth. Or it's not the God of the universe. It can't be. Because God is not illogical like we are. God is not fickle like we are. God does not decide one thing and do another. God speaks and it is done. And this is where the Holy Spirit says. And so I wrote in my commentary in Acts sometime this past week, one of the Acts commentaries, which will be out in another week or two. I wrote that when these people say the Holy Spirit is among us, and yet they make decisions in their synods and conferences that do not match this, it proves that God is not with them. That's proof that you know that you need to remove yourself from that body. Okay? This is the God that we serve. He is holy, he is perfect, and he is pure. And he will never contradict himself. So please esteem this word as he speaks to you through it. The well of the seven and the fountain coming forth. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he has done for us. So Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. We're going to be celebrating that this week. I forgot until this morning. Wow. Every year I put up this big cross out in front of my house and I changed the, uh, the uh, uh, thing on it. I got these things that I have printed and I change them every day during the week to come. And usually I do it on Friday and it stands there saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord until Sunday. And I just remembered it this morning. Today's Palm Sunday. So I run out there. I'm late for church now because I'm putting up my sign. I got to screw these things in and put it up. We did these. I made them like 25 years ago. And every year I put them out. So I got them out there and then I'm driving to, to uh, church and I realize I got to get palms for Palm Sunday because if I don't, Mabel is going to yell at me. And so I get behind them all and I stop and I cut down some palms and I, you know, here. So I'm extra late and then I get to uh, Publix and the guy uh, at the flower place, he's such a nice guy, but he will talk a bit. And I said, oh, I, I'm late today. I really, and he talked anyway. I'm, I'm really getting late coming here, folks. But we got here. Claudia is sick. Okay, she's not here. Shannon, who always helps with the kitchen. The two ladies are always here. Neither one of them is here. They're gone. I got to put everything out. I got to get everything ready. Go blow off the parking lot, clean the windows. By the time I get done, I'm literally cutting the last piece of the cake out back. And I hear bing bong. And it's Ray and uh, Mike and Roy coming in. Done. Oh. It's all so that we can worship the Lord and have a good time doing it. Have a meal together, fellowship with each other, loving the Lord. But you can't do that if you don't know the Lord. Call on Jesus Christ, believe the simple gospel, and then everything else will follow after that. But above all, after being saved, be of a mature mind. 
read the word. Okay? Read the word. Next week, I got a closing verse. Closing verses from Ephesians 3. When you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which is what we're seeing in this passage of borders. You know, when we started these sermons on the borders, I think I told you I may not have. Sergio said, I don't know how you're ever going to get sermons out of these. It's just a bunch of names. It's all about Jesus, every bit of it. When you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. It's right there, but it's not made known, as has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. How did that come about? By God putting an inheritance within an inheritance. Simeon within Judah. He who hears the church within the commonwealth of Israel. It's right there. Next week is Matthew 1.21. We're going to divert from Joshua for a week. Something to bless each of us. It is entitled, You Shall Call His Name Jesus. Jesus. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Don't try to earn what God has given you. Trust in Jesus. The salvation of God has come, and then follow him. Okay, I've got a question, and this week I've got, we're down to two. I said you can pick which one you want if you get the question right. I'm going to need people to raise their hands because this is not a difficult one. I want to get rid of these because this one really stinks. Skunk a la king. Okay, I need to get rid of that. Or creamed possum with sweet potatoes garnished in gravy. Uh, uh, yes, okay. Okay, so raise your hand if you get this. Along with Matthew. Which of the four Gospels include a note about the triumphal entry? Which ones? Okay. That's not a full answer. That's not a full answer. Along with Matthew. What? Okay. Nobody gets this. I'm sorry. All four of them do. All four of them mention the triumphal entry. It's kind of a trick question, but I thought somebody's going to get it. I'm going to take this home and have it for dinner tonight, okay? Yeah. Actually, just so you know, those who haven't seen this, this is not real food in here, okay? It's just, it's for your, you know, display at your house. Okay. Okay, this is the inheritance of Simeon. The second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the children of Simeon, by lot and not by chance, according to their families, and their inheritance was within the children of Judah's inheritance. They had in their inheritance Beersheba, Sheba, Molada, Hazar Shual, Bala, Ezem, Eltalad, Betul, Horma, Ziklag, Bet Hazar Susa, each of them. Bet Lebaot and Sharuchen, 13 cities and their villages. Ain, Ramon, Ether, and Ashan, four cities and their villages too. And all the villages that were all around these cities, as far as Ba'alat Be'er, Rama of the south, these they did accrue. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children, 
of Simeon according to their families, according to their men. The inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah, not by chance, for the share of the children of Judah was too much for them. Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance within that people's inheritance. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for including the Gentiles within the promise to Israel. Thank you that we have that because of what Christ has done. And thank you that it's so easy that all we need to do is reach out and accept by faith what he has done. You have done the work. We just need to believe. Lord, help our hearts to be faithful in believing this and then faithful in following you all the days of our lives. May it be so to your glory. May you be glorified through how we conduct our lives. Thank you for every good and kind blessing that comes in Jesus Christ. And may the day be soon when he comes for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen.